It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September 23rd, 2010. We're live on your computer tonight, and we're glad that we are. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. We're looking forward to a good session on the Virtual Bible Study. We're looking forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use, and you can join in the chat room with other listeners tonight. Eric is in Winona, or Winona, Minnesota. And I'm not sure, I'm Kevin, not sure how you say that, but it's, Kevin, it's Minnesota. I know that. Yeah, it is Minnesota, and Kevin's in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I can say that with no problem. So uh, they're in the chat room ready to chat with you tonight if you'd like to, to join in with them. Uh, we did a little changing around on our webpage, Jacob, to try and make it a little easier to navigate, and I hope it is. Uh, you can you can view the video, the video feed right there on our webpage if you want to, but if you want to get easily into the chat room and also access some of the video archives that we have available, click on that link that takes you to our show page, and then when you get there, you, you'll see the chat room, and you can join in the chat room by getting a little free uh, login name and password and join in with the talk in the, in the chat room. All right, and uh, lots of ways for you to comment tonight, lots of ways for you to keep in touch with us. We have a live or a weekly update list, which you send out the topics for discussion. We also have offered a cell phone text message update. Any takers on I, I keep forgetting to mention that in our email updates, and I want to try to do that uh, because I think people are forgetting. But if you are listening, if you're listening in the archives uh, later on, if you will send me your cell phone number, area code and number, and tell me who your cell phone carrier is or provider, uh, then we're going to try to build a, just a, a simple little list wherein just a few minutes before the virtual Bible study begins live, we'll send a text message out to remind you to get on the computer and listen in. Uh, I keep forgetting to push that in our email updates, and I need to try to do that. But if you if you are inclined uh, to have that service, we'd be glad to provide it. Send us your name and your cell phone number and your cell phone company. Maybe nobody wants to get a, a text message from you. Well, we're just going to send one a week. It won't overwhelm your inbox if you do that. We're just going to do one a week. And you're not going to call them, you know, telemarketing here. No telemarketing, and we have a high privacy policy oh, we here. Do. That's right. yeah, we don't, we don't okay. give out information. All right. All right. So if you'd like to do that, send us uh, your telephone number and your service provider, and we'd be glad to set you up with that. Jacob, to the update list today, I sent out uh, some uh, suggestion of topic for our discussion, and this was generated, by the way, if you want to be on our update list, send us a, just send us a message to questions at collegeview.com. Add me to the list. We'll do it. Uh, but to our list earlier today, we sent out some questions about miracles, and the questions were generated by an article that's been in the news. I found it a couple different sites this week, some news reporting. It has to do with miracles. So we're going to talk about that. But first, let me put these questions out there for you to consider. We'd be glad to hear from you. If you haven't already written us, send us a message and give us some input on this. Number one, please define a miracle as the word is used in the Bible and as contrasted to the way people often use the term. Okay. Number two, is there a difference between a sign and a miracle in the Bible? Number three, can some or all Bible signs and or miracles be explained by naturally occurring, occurring phenomena? Uh, number four, are miracles happening today? Number five, is God still active in the world today? Those are the questions we want to talk about. Now, five this, questions tonight. Five questions. These questions were generated, Jacob, by uh, an article that was that was been floating around out there on the Internet. I, I found it on at least two different sites, and it led me to one place where this article was, was featured called Our Amazing Planet. Uh, that was the name of the website, Our Amazing Planet. 
and uh, an author named Britt Israel had written about some research that has been done. He says Mother Earth, and I really don't like that terminology, but he says Mother Earth could have parted the Red Sea, hatching the great escape described in the biblical book of Exodus, a new study finds. A strong east wind blowing overnight could have swept water off a bend where an ancient river is believed to have merged with a coastal lagoon along the Mediterranean Sea, said this study, uh, said study team leader Carl Drews of the National Center for Atmospheric Research. While archaeologists and Egyptologists have found little evidence that any events described in Exodus actually happened, the study outlines a perfect storm that could have led to the 3,000-year-old escape. Uh, this Dr. Drews goes on to say, people have always been fascinated by this Exodus story, wondering if it comes from historical facts. What this study shows is that the description of the waters parting indeed has a basis in physical law. Drew and his colleagues used models that showed a wind of 63 miles per hour lasting for 12 hours would have pushed back waters estimated to be six feet deep. This would have exposed mud flats for four hours, creating a dry passage two to two and a half miles long and three miles wide. Uh, as soon as the winds stopped, the waters would come rushing back. Anyone still on the mud flats would be at risk of drowning. So it seems to, to go along with what the some of it fits. Yeah, some of it fits. Uh, he says he goes on to say the simulations that they did match fairly closely with the account in Exodus. The parting of the waters can be understood through fluid dynamics. I, I had to study that one time, and I didn't like it. You didn't like the fluid dynamics? No, no. But he says it could be understood through fluid dynamics. The wind moves the water in a way that is in accordance with physical laws, creating a safe passage with water on two sides and then abruptly allowing the water to rush back in. Okay. And so we contacted this Dr. Carl Drews of the National Center for Atmospheric Research and asked him if he would come on to talk with us about his findings, and he declined. He thanked us for the invitation. He says, I, thanks for the invitation. I'm declining because there's some controversy arising over the study, and I feel that I should concentrate on the science right now and make sure that it is perceived as solid. He did say, however, I will observe that Exodus 14, 21 through 22, describes a two-part process. God made the wind. The wind moved the water. The second part is the natural component of the event, and it is entirely appropriate for science to study wind moving water. I so, don't guess we have a problem with that no. at all. Uh, and, and anyway, I, I actually think uh, that Dr. Drews is a, is a Bible believer. I believe he believes uh, things written in the Bible. At least that's my impression from what I've read from him and from others. Uh, and so we want to talk about I, I think we want to emphasize in our study tonight, Jacob, this idea of miracles. We want to talk about miracles, obviously. I especially want to talk about miracles that might be explained by some natural occurring phenomenon. Is that is are, are we completely tore up with the suggestion that something natural could have caused something like the parting of the Red Sea or other signs and miracles that we read in the Bible? You know, it's but it's as noted here in the in the article, it's not foreign even to what the scriptures teach that the wind could have well, done it, what uh, well, it, the, the scripture says that God caused an east wind to blow. I mean, that's not that's not made up. That's actually in the Bible text in Exodus chapter 14, uh, verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Okay. And so there's the Bible reference, but it actually talks about a wind that God caused to blow. Right. Okay. So, uh, so maybe they're saying here that that could be correct. Now the miracle would be in the fact that the wind uh, started and stopped Responded at uh, Moses' destruction. Yeah, right. I think that's I think that's a key, and that's what one of the things we want to investigate. All right, the number to call is 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. Send an email to questions at collegeu.com. Join in the chat room with other listeners. Neutron John from Oklahoma is in the chat room now, and the moderation has been turned off. You can chat without a username tonight as well. Uh, so be sure to send in your comments there. All right. Uh, let's talk, first of all, Jacob, about the, the proper definition of a miracle. And I actually 
over time, and with some encouragement from some others who have even written in tonight, I, I think I've come to realize that defining a miracle may not be quite as cut and dried as we have always maybe suggested that it is. All right, explain that. Well, one explanation is that a miracle is a supernatural event. In other words, in fact, I personally have defined it that way in the past, that it it was a situation in which God caused natural law to be suspended and something that could never happen naturally happened. Mm-hmm. Now, there are miracles like that in the Bible. There are clearly supernatural events that supersede Natural law. Jesus walking on the water. Jesus walking on the water would be a, a great example. Of, okay. uh, Lazarus being raised from the dead after he'd been dead for four days would okay. be an example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's some miracles that, that could have a naturally uh, contributing part, part of it at least. So we'll talk about that. Let's read what some of our respondents have said. And if you're in the chat room, tell us what you think a miracle is. If you've got email and you want to send us email... We're uh, monitoring our inbox all through the program, so you can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, says uh, a miracle is a supernatural event that can only be explained as being of divine origin outside the natural laws as we know them. Now, Jim is defining it like I have historically defined it, and I think that's a, a fitting definition but I think there may be some other things that we want to factor into that as well. So we appreciate Jim for his um, uh, definition. Go ahead, Chris. Jimmy. in Atlanta, Georgia, sends in his comment, a miracle is an event that does not occur by normal actions of the physical laws of nature. Physical laws have been su- suspended or superseded in order to accomplish the act. For example, speaking to a storm to cause the winds and waves to subside is not how the physical laws act when a storm subsides. Storms do not respond to a voice. They respond to natural physical laws. The feeding of several thousand people from a few fish and pieces of bread cannot be explained by using natural laws. I am, am I clear as mud? Well, I think we understand where Chris is coming from. He says, I will mention uh, the parting of the Red Sea in question number three of your uh, list tonight. He says, in contrast, many people loosely use miracle when they are perfectly there are perfectly good natural explanations for them. The miracle of childbirth. Uh, is what uh, he quote he says here. Uh, while this is an amazing process, uh, that that is all inspiring and is not a miracle. People will say it is a miracle I made it to work on time. Unless you were able to drive ten miles in just a few seconds, then it is not a miracle. I think uh, I especially want to concentrate here on what Chris has said in that last part of it. People definitely misuse the word miracle. Exactly. And I think he's given a couple of very fitting examples of how they do that. They. You know, somebody holds a newborn baby in their hands, and they say, it's a miracle. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely a wonderful thing, and all of us who uh, have experienced children being born to us or grandchildren, uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very amazing and wonderful thing, but it's not a miracle. It's all, it's, it's all understood as a natural scientific process. It's repeated thousands of times right. a day around the globe. Uh, it is a natural occurring phenomenon. There's nothing that is uh, out of the ordinary there. So it would be wrong to call it a miracle. It's not a miracle. Now, when Jesus was born of a virgin, that was a miracle because that didn't follow the natural process of things. Sure. And so that was a miracle. But it's not a miracle, just a normal childbirth. It's not a miracle if you are a person who's usually late to work, but you get to work on time, that's not a miracle either. No. Uh, as he said, if you got transported from here to your workplace 20 miles away, if you got transported, that might be you know a Star Trek mechanism. Yeah. That might be miraculous. That's right. <laughs> but uh, just, just the fact that a person who's usually late gets there on time is not miraculous. All right. We're going to take a break. And uh, as we go to the break, it would be a great time for you to send in your comments. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven is the number to use. You can be on the line when we come back and share your comments with the world, or you can send an email to questions at collegeview.com. Don't forget the chat room as well. We're going to continue the discussion right after these messages. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hello, everyone. 
I'm Brett Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. All right. We're talking about miracles on the program tonight. Anthony is behind the controls tonight. Anthony, thanks for being here tonight. Thanks. It's always a pleasure. And uh, are things working well over there? Yeah, things are going quite smooth. It's, it's not a miracle. It is not a miracle. It, well, I'm not sure. I, okay. I got to tell you, we've had so much trouble. It, it, it borders on a miracle. Okay. We can get one out no, there no. without trouble. Right. I'm there teasing. I'm teasing, of course. Anthony, thanks. Uh, thanks for your good work. Uh, we did it. We do have one listener on the audio stream who says he's having some trouble on the audio stream, but we think that might be on his connection rather than ours. If if uh, any of you are having any trouble, let us know. Maybe get in the chat room or send us an email. But I think we're we're getting out there pretty good tonight. Um, one other thing before we pass from Chris's email about the definition of a miracle, uh, he says, speaking to a storm to cause the winds and waves to subside is not how physical laws act when a storm subsides. Storms do not respond to a voice. They respond to natural physical laws. I think that's right. But, but the question that a friend has asked me is, what if God just caused the barometric pressure to rise a few millibars and then the storm dissipated because the pressure rose. In other words, a rising pressure causes storms to subside. Well, that'd be all natural. That'd be that'd be God causing it in a natural way. But the fact that God could or or Jesus could do it on command is is the is the out of the ordinary part of that. But I think I think it's possible that God, in some instances, like maybe even calming the storm, uh, accomplished that feat. If we knew, if we were there with a barometer to measure it, he may have done that by just causing what normally causes storms to subside, but doing it on command, which is the out of the ordinary part of that. So uh, that's why I'm saying uh, when we talk about miracles, it may be a little bit oversimplification to say that it always involves something that superseded or caused the suspension of natural law. Okay, I think the friends you may have talked to, Send in his comments. Yeah. Our friend Aaron in Texas is yeah. the one who's got me thinking along that line. All right. He says he uh, has talked with you before, and he uh, his definition of miracle is a bit more expansive than yours. I believe it is uh, biblical to view a miracle as any event in which God directly intervenes to cause something to happen differently from how it would have happened without his direct intervention. I do not believe that it is necessary to invoke any discussion of whether or not God used natural means to accomplish the thing, which is why I don't uh, believe uh, there is any need for a category of things called providence. The discussion of the parting of the Red Sea is a good example of why I don't think we have to know every or know anything about the mechanism. If Moses knew what would happen when he stretched out his rod and it happened, then it doesn't matter how strong the wind was uh, produced. Uh, it is a miracle in either case. God intervened at a specific time when he was needed after announcing that he was going to do it. The mechanism isn't important. If such a wind did act exactly the same thing today, it might be a natural phenomenon, but the fact that it happened on command proves that God was intervening to make it happen in Exodus 13. However, many people use the word miracle to refer to anything amazing or unlikely, which is not a correct use of the term. Right, and we were just talking about that last statement there. It is not just something amazing or unlikely, like getting to work on time is not a miracle. Uh, and so uh, people do use the term too loosely. But uh, let's let's talk for a minute about... We've got a question. Okay, go ahead. Let's, uh, let's talk about Eric's question in uh, from Minnesota. 
in the chat room tonight. Are there any miracles that do not suspend natural laws in the Bible? If not, including this concept into the word miracle would be appropriate. Well, um, are there any miracles that do not suspend natural laws in the Bible? Well, the parting of the Red Sea may be one. And that's what this guy who's written, done this research says, you know, there may not have been any suspension of natural law. In other words, this, this uh, Carl Drews, Dr. Carl Drews at the National Center for Atmospheric Research says you could get a natural wind, 63 mile per hour. That's a, that's a high wind, but it's not out, it's not off the chart unusual to have a wind blowing at 63 miles an hour. You get a, an east wind blowing at 63 miles an hour in that specific region of the Red Sea, and he says it could part the waters, and he even, he even gave the, the width and length of the parted waters, he said uh, they could make a passage two to two and a half miles long and three miles wide. Now, again, I, I think we're just kind of throwing this around here, trying and to see if we get it. Of a, it's somewhat of a vein. God concept. caused it on demand. That's the unusual part. That's right. the part that is a sign or a wonder, which we're going yeah. to talk a little bit more yeah. as we go on our discussion. But God was able to... If, if that's the case, God was use, able to use something that is not a violation of natural law. Wind blowing and even moving water when it blows is not a, uh, an unheard of natural event. Uh, he, he mentions in his um, article, he says there's a, or, or Dr. Drews mentions in his research, a similar phenomenon is found on Lake Erie near Toledo, Ohio where water will recede several feet when a strong wind blows through. And so, um, again, this, this may be an example to Eric's question. This may be an example of God using a natural force on demand. There's the amazing part of it, on demand. I think about some of the plagues, the, the death of the firstborn. There's nothing miraculous about someone dying. It happens every day. I don't think God superseded any laws when people die well, necessarily. Uh, uh, several of, of the plagues might be, uh, you know, a, a, a terrible outbreak of flies or of grasshoppers or locusts. You know, when God caused those things to happen, but, you know, sometimes those things happen by natural. But I guess the, the spontaneousness of the, the, the flies. Fa- the, the, the fact that he could – and – that the Egyptians were affected by it, not the, the where the where the right. children of Israel were living in the right. land. It, you know, th- there's things that should clearly show that God was causing it to happen, but the, what happened itself is not necessarily a suspension of natural law. And we're we maybe just running around the tree here because uh, we we are admitting that God is doing some things that don't naturally occur. But we're just arguing whether or not it's a suspension of the natural law, and so maybe it's uh, maybe it's not even. Anthony's a point where over there scratching his head. What do you think, Anthony? about to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! No, I mean, I, I I think it's wise, of course, always in a discussion to make sure that we all agree on the definition of the terms that that are being discussed. And I think you know there is a point to the fact that a miracle may may involve more than simply something that that is completely supernatural in the literal sense. I, I see what you're saying, you know, with the storm, for example, and Jesus calming the storm. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a valid point. Um, you know, I don't think it, it changes the fact that in either either case, God is behind it. God is behind it. That's the key. We're not and, denying that. Right. People people do deny that. That's probably now, I don't right. even think that, that, that this uh, Dr. Carl Drews from the – I keep forgetting the name of the thing, the National Center for Atmospheric Research. I don't think he's denying God's, uh, from the email he sent me, he suggested, you know, God made the wind and the wind part of the water. So I don't think he's denying God's involvement. And when nobody here is denying that God was at work in these matters, we're just kind of challenging ourselves to get a fully comprehensive definition of a miracle. And and so, uh, and again, I'm not I'm not completely locked in on this, but I do think that I maybe have been a little overly simplistic to say that it is exclusively a supernatural, superseding natural law kind of event. It, 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 that may be a little bit too too uh, narrowly defined. And we're not we're not. To, there are some people who try to find a natural explanation for everything in the Bible. For instance, you remember a few years ago, uh, a scientist came out and said that Jesus walking on the water wasn't necessarily a miracle because it happens at certain times where the sheet ice yeah, forms. The lake could, could be frozen, then warm wind blows across, and a little puddle gets on the top of that ice, 
and Jesus just happened to be there in just the right time, so he's actually walking on ice, not walking on water. Yeah, that's uh, we're not, crazy. That, 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 we're not saying that. We, we've got a question we're going to get to. Let us know what you think. If we Ken's, confused, if we confused the issue, send us a comment in the chat room. Call us or send us an email. We've got a question coming up here. Can some or all Bible signs and or miracles be explained by naturally occurring phenomena? No. I think no. We're going to see that. And actually, uh, Chris, in his uh, email, uh, on the very first question, he mentioned one. That I, 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 I defy anyone to explain how several thousand people could be fed from a few fish and sure. a few pieces of bread. That's a, that's a defined. With, with more left over when they all got full right. than there was when they started. Right. There, there's no way to describe, there's no way to explain that in a, in a, with a natural explanation. Right. right. Uh, Eric uh, sends in another comment in the chat room. According to Strong's, miracles emphasize the idea of power or force. Whether that includes God manipulating wind and, or water or making some uh, suspension of natural law, the focus is power and strength. I think that's right. And let, that's a good segue to our next question. The second question we asked that we wanted to discuss uh, is, is there a – wait a minute. Wait, before I get to that, I got, we got an email coming in from Jim, and Jim was one of our emailers before. Let me, let me, let me catch his thoughts on that first question. Jim says, no one knew the Red Sea would part until God directed it to do so. If he used the wind, it was only by his direction. Thus, the wind was not already blowing. All the elements have to be there as revealed in the text at the exact time it was needed. Dry ground, water separating, wind blowing, etc. All had to be there at that time, which the text says came by the word of God. Absolutely, and it was a miracle. Right, I agree. And, and yeah, and it was a God-caused event. There, yeah. there's no, he says, the text directs us to understand that this event would not have happened unless God directed it to be so we agree with that it was on god's demand and i think yeah. that's the part that stands out and the part that we've got to be uh committed to and those who would deny the scriptures would say well it could have happened just by chance and the scripture and that simply does not fit with what the scriptures teach. yeah um l- let's let's take this second question because this may help our discussion a little bit too is there a difference between a sign and a miracle in the bible um I did a little looking, and those words are found a lot of times in the Bible. Sometimes the word sign is definitely used to describe miraculous things. Uh, And let me show you an example of that. In Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, Jesus Jesus said, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Yeah, seems to be so, so, so that, there, There's the word sign is used to talk about supernatural kind of thing. Right. Uh, and so the word sign is used. Uh, synonymously with miracles. Uh, look at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, at verse 42, this was just this on the day of Pentecost. It says, after the day of Pentecost, verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day, the day of Pentecost, were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Uh, notice the idea of wonders and signs. Uh, it was it, these events were were done first of all to, to produce wonder and amazement in the people who observed them, but also as a sign of confirmation that these men were speaking the word of God. So signs and wonders. Uh, in, in our, and, and miracles are even used interchangeably in Acts 2 at verse 22. Peter said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. And so on he goes. He used all three words there, and I think interchangeably. Miracles, wonders, signs. Miracles are these events we're talking about. I think wonders and signs indicate what they were for, to produce amazement, to draw attention, and the signs were as confirmation or verification of what God wanted to be known. All right. Uh, John answers, uh, or Jim, I'm sorry, answers, uh, no, not really. A sign was provided in the form of the birth of Jesus to a virgin, yet it was still a miracle. He references Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, I believe, 
where we read, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, God said that would be a sign, clearly a miraculous sign. Okay, hold that a minute. Hold that for a minute. But here's another use of that same word. In Luke chapter 2, at verse 10, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, when Jesus was born, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, lying in a manger. That's not a miracle. That's not a miracle. See, so there the word sign is not talking okay. about a miracle. So you've got to let the context decide that. Okay, so you have it either way. Uh, John says the things written, including the miracles of Jesus, John 2 and 3, etc., were done to cause us to believe, John 20, 30 through 31. Thus, John's writing about these miracles were a sign to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Exactly right. I think I think Jim is exactly right there. Uh, here the word sign is meant to indicate things done of a miraculous nature. Many other signs truly did Jesus, John 20, verse 30. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. These signs were for the purpose of causing people to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. All right. So they are clearly from God. So uh, so to the question, is there a difference between a sign and a miracle, I think you've got to let the context decide that because sometimes the word sign is used non-miraculously and sometimes it's used as a synonym for a miracle but signs miraculous or not miraculous have a a, a, the similar or same purpose and that is to give us even with the angels going and finding the baby jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger there's nothing miraculous about that but it but the fact that the angel had told them that when they got there that's what they would see that still served as a confirmation or a verification sure. to him. All right, Eric in Minnesota says, one way I've remembered what a sign is is by looking at traffic signs. Traffic signs are intended to direct us to know something, be warned about something, or direct us to do something. Signs in the Bible have a higher purpose of pointing us to God. And okay. so I think uh, that's a good uh, parallel there. All right, um, let's uh, take a break, get this week's bullet points. Well, we're way late. Can you hold it? Can you hold sure, it? Sure, okay, sure, all right, sure. we're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. A 40-year-old man suffering through the classic midlife crisis sat down to talk to a preacher about his problems. He explained how his marriage of 20 years was no longer satisfying or fulfilling. Finally, he reached the bottom line. I just don't love her anymore, he said. What can I do? After a brief moment of reflection, the preacher said, Well, as I see it, you have only one option. The man perked up with anticipation. Was the preacher going to suggest divorce? Would he be free to pursue the thrilling lifestyle of the younger generation that he had come to admire? Would this be his chance to regain his fleeting youth? What was the preacher's advice? He went on to say, It seems to me that the only thing left for you to do is repent and start loving her again. So often we hear of married couples who complain that they have fallen out of love. That's sad, but it happens. The real issue is, what do you do when you realize that such a situation exists? The Bible still says the same thing that it has always said. Husbands are to love your wives, Ephesians 5.25, and wives are to love their husbands, Titus 2, verse 4. Please note that these are not just suggestions, they are commands. To fail to love your mate is to commit sin, and sin always requires repentance if there is to be forgiveness. Be careful. Do not confuse this commanded love with the gooey, silly infatuation of a teenager. It is far more than that. It is a sacrificial love that seeks the interest of the one loved more than self. It's the very kind of love that Jesus has shown to us. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the program tonight. We're glad you're on the other end. We hope you're benefiting from our discussion tonight as we talk about miracles. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us, what we believe, what we practice, by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And better yet, if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, come and worship with us 
anytime, Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m., Sunday evening at 6, and Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We'd love to have you visit. If you need directions or if we can be of any assistance, contact us over the phone or contact us via email at any time. We'd love to hear from you. We're talking about miracles on the program tonight. We'll remind you, you don't have to have a username to chime in in the chat room tonight, and we'll take a roll call a little early tonight. Usually when we take a roll call, uh, we wait to the end of the program. We'll do it now. If you uh, don't mind, uh, you don't have to give us your name. You just might tell us where you are tonight, where you're listening to the program. Send us in uh, a comment in the chat room with your location. We have Eric in Minnesota, Kevin in Hot Springs, Arkansas, Neutron John is in Oklahoma tonight. Sharon's in South Carolina, so we're spreading far and wide tonight. We'd like to know where you are. We've we got one local here, Jim in Mount Pleasant, on the other end of the line tonight as well. Okay. All right. Uh, real quickly, before we pass on to some of these other questions that we've got to get to, uh, Aaron in Texas has written, is there a difference between a sign and a miracle? And he says, yes, at least there's a difference in intent. The word sign is used for an act intended to reinforce a message and validate that it's from God. It implies that there is an audience who, who is supposed to learn something from the sign. God speaking at Jesus' baptism was a sign to the crowd, and healings were frequently intended as signs that men who invoked the healing were messengers of God. God used a fire and an earthquake, natural events, as signs to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. A miracle is more general and doesn't necessarily have an audience. The creation of plants, for example, was a miracle that was not witnessed and so probably couldn't be considered a sign. Okay. But kind of an interesting, interesting distinction. Interesting. But I do think that we're talking about miracles, synonymous terms, terms used interchangeably with miracles is wonders and signs. And that's, that's what these events, these miraculous events produce, wonderment and a sign or verification or confirmation, ratification. Okay. We had talked uh, uh, Anthony into uh, uh, somewhat of a trance with our uh, with our. Uh, discussion tonight uh, with the confusion that we had, but he was able to break out of the trance and, and uh, give us a really a good comment during the break, Anthony. Yeah, I think we were just saying, you know, uh, you may be wondering, you know, why all this, uh, uh, you know, discussion about what's really involved in a definition of a miracle, but I think it may be important for us to to maybe try to broaden that definition to, to include occurrences that maybe could have a natural explanation, but were caused by God uh, in a miraculous way. Uh, and the point being that, you know, when articles like this one from this gentleman that come along that say, well, that that Bible miracle could be explained naturally, well, maybe if we, if we have a more broad understanding of the word miracle, uh, that wouldn't cause us yeah, Great alarm. I think you're right, because I think our natural reaction is someone says, well, you know, a wind blowing could cause the parting of the Red Sea. Oh, wait a minute now. You know, we kind of get our, we kind of get our, get get our back up and get ready to fight in defense of the Bible text. Well, the Bible text actually says that God caused a wind to blow and caused the waters to part. So, you know, this, this is, a, a, to me at least, a helpful discussion because it helps, as you said, Anthony, for us to realize that we don't have to be, uh, necessarily on a combative, defensive uh, stand against such things as that. We, we we are all agreeing God caused it on demand. That's the amazing thing about it. Okay. All I right. gotta I gotta relate a story I heard about this that I've always thought was amusing. In, in a in a secular classroom, the teacher was teaching that there was no there were no miracles in the bible there were no that everything had a natural explanation and he said for instance that business about the parting of the red sea he said everybody knows you know that's how they that's how critics usually approach right, this you right. know, everybody they, knows you, you every, it. Yeah, everybody knows strange. that the red sea where the children of israel crossed is only 6 inches deep it's just a swampy marsh it's only 6 inches deep there was no miracle they just walked across there and a kid in the back of the room raised his hand, and the teacher called on him, and he said, he said, what do you want? And the kid says, well, I just want to thank God for the miracle. And the teacher just kind of got irate. He said, I just told you there was no miracle. That water's only six inches deep there. They just walked across. And the kid said, well, I'm not talking about that. He said, I'm talking about the miracle of the whole Egyptian army drowning in six inches of water. Right, yeah. 
That's right. Um, uh, so, uh, you, but there are those who want to give a natural explanation in denying that God had anything to do with it, and we're not. We want to make sure people understand. We're not. So we're not in, alluding to that at all. Yeah. But there could be a there could be a natural uh, means that God used in the miracle to accomplish what He wanted to. We've got. Um, uh, we asked that question, Jacob. In fact, um, we asked the question number three. Can some or all Bible signs and our miracles be explained by naturally occurring phenomenon? And uh, Jim answers, no. True Bible miracles, per definition of question one, cannot be of natural occurrence. I, I don't know if we've changed Jim's thinking on that or not. Uh, his initial definition was it had to be a supernatural event. I don't know if we've changed his thinking any on that or not. But I would agree with him that not all can be explained. Certainly not all miracles can be explained with natural occurring phenomena. There's just no way that, I mean, you, you could write a list probably as long as your arm of events in the Bible that were truly supernatural could not be explained sure. by a natural phenomenon. Sure. Okay. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeyou.com. The chat room is available for you. Sherry in Houston has chimed in, and so we're touching the southern border of the United States in Houston, northern border close to it in both in Minnesota. We've got the east coast represented by Sharon in South Carolina tonight. We need the west coast to chime in. We've got as far west as Oklahoma. If you're farther west than Oklahoma, chime in tonight, or just tell us where you are in the chat room if you can tonight. All right. All uh... right. Chris in Atlanta writes, can some or all Bible miracles be explained by natural occurring phenomena? He said, I would say not in the truest sense of the definition of miracle. I do believe that miracles can utilize natural phenomena. For example, the parting of the Red Sea, Exodus 14.21, records that Moses stretched out his hand and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind. Now, God used a natural phenomena, a strong wind, to accomplish the miracle. In this case, the miracle would be that the wind occurred only when Moses stretched out his hand and it lasted only long enough for the Israelites to pass on dry ground. Okay. Other miracles, such as Lazarus being raised from the dead, cannot be explained by naturally occurring phenomena. Immediately after oxygen ceases going to the brain, brain death occurs rapidly. Certainly, Lazarus' brain was completely dead and irreversibly damaged after four days, yet he came back to life. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are good examples. So definitely, you, you can't use this, this, this factor of some, some natural component of some of the signs in the Bible. You cannot explain all of the Bible miracles that way for sure. All right. And Aaron in Texas tonight. Uh, sends in this question or this response. Uh, I don't think it matters for the reasons I've explained before about whether or not it can occur naturally. Uh, sometimes it is the timing of an event, not the nature of that event, that proves that God was involved. For example, fire may sometimes fall from the sky today, but when it fell at Elijah's command uh, more than once, we know that God was involved. When the phenomenon is natural but cannot normally be invoked by men, fire falling from the sky, then the fact that it is natural does not mean that nature explains how it could happen on command. I do believe that some miracles could not be reduced by any phenomenon that occurs in nature. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's exactly to the point, and that's what we're saying. Uh, Jim has answered. I asked if we'd change, if he'd change his thing. He says, no, he hadn't changed his mind. I do recognize that God uses natural things, sun, water, wind, food, et cetera, but we cannot replicate what he does the way he does it. That is why the text relates it as a miracle. All things are at his command. We agree with that. That's right. I agree with that. We agree with that. Okay. okay. Uh, so we've we've confused the issue tonight, which is not unheard of, and it's not un, not to be expected. <laughs> well, but I do think it's I, I do think that maybe if we can, uh, the point that Anthony was making earlier, I think, is very important here. We don't have to have our shake our faith shaken by an article like the one that that sort of initiated our discussion tonight. Where this, where this scientist says, if you could get an east wind blowing at 63 miles an hour for 12 hours at that particular point on the Mediterranean coast, you could cause a dry stretch to occur across that water. That, that doesn't have to shake us up. God caused that wind. He commanded it. It was at his command, and, it, and that was the amazing part of it. At his command, it could happen. Uh, you know, w- without God's involvement, the children of Israel could have st- stayed there for a lifetime and never have never been able to cross the water. God caused it at command. That was the sign. And perhaps uh, another part of the sign is this guy says it needs to be a 63-mile-an-hour wind from the east. 
does the wind occur naturally in that direction? A 63-mile-an-hour wind? and it Has it ever happened any other time? And it would have place. to be a constant wind yeah. for that amount of time. Uh, and uh, and I, I, that that would be somewhat of a miracle in and of itself. Yeah, guys, and in the chat room, uh, Neutron John brings up a really good point, and I believe this is what he's getting at, and I hadn't thought of him, but if the wind, uh, you know, blew that hard and for that long, then it would blow the, <laughs> blow the Israelites right, up, <laughs> they right had, out of well, They would have had to cross while the wind <laughs> right. was blowing. So, so yeah. definitely a miracle, no question. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah, we're not we're, – I, I surely hope that no one uh, is left with the impression that we do not believe that this was an act of God right. and intended as a powerful sign of, of his – Omnipotent. And we don't believe that God never broke any natural laws in his miracles. We don't believe there has to be a naturalistic explanation for everything. Yeah. We're just saying that he could have used natural laws in this case and maybe some a few others. I think I think the instances of him using natural phenomena is, is much smaller than uh supernatural yeah, phenomena. I think I think if I think if I was gonna take the time to break out every miracle recorded in the Bible, both Old Testament and New and make a list of ones which may have had some natural component that operated at God's command versus those that were clearly supernatural, suspended natural law. I think the the list with the, of, of natural law being suspended would be the longer list. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break. We're way, we're over time again, and uh, we, we've got to go on. We've got to quit floundering around on this question and get to the, the other questions that you've asked about tonight. So don't go anywhere. We're going to go fast on the other side of this break. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of the Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of the Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we hope you will make it a plan to listen every Thursday night. And, uh, and uh, programs like this might help you with insomnia if you're having trouble sleeping on Thursday night. I don't know. I th- this is an interesting discussion. It is interesting. It is. I, I think it, I think it is, is a point that maybe we haven't really dived into as deep as we need to uh, to some extent. So I, I'm, I, for, for my part, I'm gaining from this, the discussion. All right, Anthony, are you uh, you're still okay over there? I'm I'm trying really hard to stay awake over here. Oh, guys. come on. Give us a break. <laughs> okay. Right, we want to hear from you. Quickly. We're just, over email or the chat room tonight. There's time to take your We're going to run out of time here. Let's go quickly to this fourth question. Are miracles happening today? Chris in Atlanta says, I do not believe so. The purpose of miracles has been fulfilled. They were to cause belief in Christ and to show that the apostles were what the apostles were teaching was from God. Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13. Oh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 through 13 states that they will cease. Now we have the complete word of God. Also, only the apostles could pass the gift of miracles on to someone, Acts 8, verses 14 through 19. Since there are no apostles alive today, then we do not have the power of miracles. Uh, He said, on a side note, I find it funny that those who call themselves faith healers can heal people of so many ailments yet still have to wear their eyeglasses themselves. Uh, I'm going to start on that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant says, uh, his answer, are there miracles happening today? No, based upon the definition of a miracle uh, and uh, the fact that they are not always, at least, uh, explained by a natural phenomenon. 
uh, Johnny in Leoma, Tennessee, has written in, and he disagrees on this point. He says, we are told in the Bible to call for the elders of the church. The elders should pray over him. They should anoint with oil. I don't understand the significance of having the elders do it, nor do I understand about the oil. However, we are told to do this. What results do we expect out of prayer? Those results are miraculous in nature. They are a result of something that we could not do ourselves. Any prayer that we pray for that matter, if that prayer is answered, is answered from God. Simply speaking, why would you bring your petitions to God if you did not expect an answer? That answer from God would be a miracle. Well, we're going to go to this question uh, in just a minute. Is God still active? We believe God is still active, and I agree with Johnny. That's why we would pray. If we don't believe God is acting, why would we bother to pray for things? However, I do not believe that an answer to prayer is necessarily miraculous. He's, he, he's got a definition there that I don't agree with. He's saying if, if God answers prayer, it is yeah, not a miracle. miracle. And that's not, I don't believe that's so. Yeah, um, God's not answering prayers by making arms grow back or uh, yeah, the things right. that are supernatural. That's right. You know, if I cut my hand off, I could pray constantly for the rest of my life, and that, that hand will never grow back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if it was it, now if it did, that would be a miracle. But that doesn't happen. Okay, Anthony? I was just going to say, we can maybe get into this, but you know, people might think about you know, amazing recoveries of, say, cancer patients, or you've heard of these stories where there was supposedly a you know, cantaloupe-sized tumor in somebody, and, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Uh, what do you, maybe we could bat those kinds of uh, Yeah, and I don't always have any, you know, I, all, for years and years I've heard faith healers who claim that they've been able to make huge tumors disappear. But, you know, the fact of the matter is I couldn't see the tumor before they started, and I couldn't tell it was gone after they finished their work. And I think that's one of the things that strongly denotes the difference of the miracles we read about in the Bible from those that these faith healers claim. The miracles of the Bible were such that they were easily verified. Uh, You know, for instance, people who had never walked could immediately, instantaneously walk after having been healed. People knew they were lame from birth, and suddenly they could walk. A blind man could suddenly see. Those are miracles that are verifiable, confirmable. You could see it and acknowledge that it happened. I mean, I can't see a tumor before or after. It's you can't see indigestion. You can't see indigestion. I remember one time, I, I have gone, and I think it's a worthy exercise. I have gone several times to these faith healing rallies, and I've, heard, I've seen people healed of headaches and hearing loss and uh, stomach indigestion and, and all of those things. I can't tell that they're there, and I can't tell that they're gone after the miracles. They claim a miracle. So, and that is, stands in stark contrast to the miracles of the Bible, for sure. Um, by the way, the, te- the text that Johnny alludes to about the elders anointing with oil and praying is in John chapter 5, beginning verse 14. Uh, I have a different view of that text. Maybe sometime we get into it. I actually think that text is probably talking about spiritual illness rather than physical illness. And, I agree with you, yeah, you on that. Yeah. Um, uh, otherwise, uh, it, it, everyone who is prayed for would re- would recover based yeah. upon that passage. Yeah. So we might you might examine that in your spare time. I did know an uh, example though of a woman who believed you ought to anoint someone who was sick with oil. Her mother was sick and she would anoint her with oil. I'm not sure what kind of oil. What she kind would of oil? Use. Probably Wesson cooking oil. But I could just envision this. She never got better. I could just envision this woman constantly spreading oil. Uh, I, just, I just wondered, 10W40 or? She died or, of a heart attack. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I do think that. And that that might be worth talking about sometime on the virtual Bible study. I think that James 5 passage is talking about spiritual sickness uh, rather than uh, uh, physical sickness. Okay. But the final question we got to get to is, is God still active in the world today? Chris says, in Atlanta, Chris says, without a doubt, if not, then why would we be told to pray without ceasing? Absolutely. Uh, Jim says, yes, God does not need miracles to be active. His providence continues to work in the world today. Jesus continues to be our mediator today in heaven. Miracles, though miracles, though provided by God as a sign, are not his only means of interacting with mankind. Agreed? Aaron says, yes, else we should quit praying. So I think that's a pretty uh, strong line of reasoning. Johnny Mioma says, this question goes along with the previous question. If God is not active in the world, then why why are we told to pray? Yes, I believe God is active in this world and that he does answer prayers. We agree. Right. Uh, so I, I think that's a pretty unanimous answer there that we have uh, on, on God still acting. Now, uh, kind of putting, the, putting that together, if God is still active but not by 
the miracles as we were describing them earlier. Uh, uh, now, I, I don't, I'm not sure our friend Aaron in Texas would necessarily agree with this distinction, but I don't believe God is, is acting miraculously, at least not in the sense that he is doing these things. And I think maybe Aaron makes that distinction. He's not doing these things for purposes of wonderment and signs. They, they're not intended as wonders and signs. Uh, there's, there's nothing happening wherein you can point at it and say, that was a miracle. And God definitely did that. You know, I think many Christians would acknowledge that they have prayed and that they believe that God answered their prayers and things happened that were, were a blessing to them. But but you couldn't you couldn't prove that to a to a skeptic or unbeliever if your life depended upon it. And yet in the Bible, when miracles were done, uh, for instance, in Acts chapter three, the apostles healed a lame man, and it made the Jewish leaders very mad uh, because it was cutting into their power base. Uh-huh. Um, and so they arrested the apostles and questioned them, challenged them. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 15 says, When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest unto all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So even even the enemies of Christ could not deny the miracles that Jesus did and that his uh, apostles did. They weren't just curing someone of their indigestion. That's right. They were, they were, they were undeniable. They and, and so, uh, I think that's the, the the huge distinction. We believe God is still working. I still use the word providence. I think it's a fitting word. God is working, but He is not working in such a fashion to produce signs and wonders as we're recording the Bible. Now, let's back up just for a minute and and acknowledge that we believe every miracle recorded in the Bible. Absolutely. I wouldn't again wouldn't want anybody to have the impression that we are somehow or another denying Bible miracles. We believe every miracle that the Bible records happened just the way the Bible said it happened. All right. Uh, quickly, uh, Eric has asked the question in the chat room, uh, how do we show uh, from the Bible uh, that the miracles like they recorded in the New Testament times are not occurring today? For instance, when you come to worship with us at the College of Church of Christ, we will not have a faith healing. Nobody's going to go up on the stage and get uh, you know, a broken leg healed instantaneously. How are you going to show from the Bible that, that's not occurring, that we shouldn't be doing that today. I think there's a, there's a threefold argument. We haven't really gotten into this tonight, although I think Chris in his email did mention the purpose of miracles has been fulfilled. The purpose of the miracles was to reveal God's truth to mankind about Jesus and his word and and confirm it. Okay. That purpose has been fulfilled. Jesus has been revealed and confirmed. The word has been confirmed. The purpose, there's no longer any reason to need miracles. Secondly, First sec, uh, Corinthians 13, First Corinthians 13, 8 through 13 actually says that miracles would end and says when, right. when the when the revealed word was completed. Okay. And then thirdly, the the only way that miraculous gifts of the Spirit were passed on in in those times was by the laying on of the apostles' hands. And now that the apostles are all dead, that was a one generation pass. They could pass it on to a person, but that. It could not then subsequently be passed on to anybody else. That's confirmed in Acts chapter 8, first half right. of Acts chapter 8, when the evangelist Philip went to the city of Samaria. We see that illustrated He could there. not pass the gifts and miracles on to He them, could do miracles, but he couldn't, but he couldn't pass them on. Okay. All right. And so uh, we would conclude that miracles like we read about in the New Testament are not occurring today. Real quick before we end, uh, a good study, Jacob, I think a necessary one, important one. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we end, let's remind people about that. Oh, yes. A phone text message update. If you want to get a text message on your cell phone just minutes before the virtual Bible study begins each Thursday night, send us your name, your phone number with area code, and who your cell phone company is, and we're going to try to build a list where and you'll just get one simple text message from us a week. And I'm going to have to send you a text message to remind you to mention the text message yes. in the emails. Exactly. And uh, we will not use your uh, telephone number for any purpose other than sending out uh, text message to remind you one a week uh, one a week so uh, and uh, that's uh, that's all we'll do with it uh you, you we will not uh spread it around so if you want to do that uh, we'd like to hear from you on that anthony thanks for being uh, behind the controls tonight uh i assume that uh, everything went off without a hitch yeah from what i can see everything right. is going well appreciate you being here tonight thanks dad thanks for your time thanks jacob and thank you for being on the other end of the program tonight we hope you benefited from our study and discussion of god's word 
We hope you make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.